Hey, welcome back to the Todd Pod. I'm Todd Lizenby. Eli Letterman's my guest today. We're going to talk about the Premier League coming up. But first, let's hear from our sponsors. Well, let's hear about our sponsors anyway. Next Generation Roofing, MidFirst Bank, FireLakeJobs.com, the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum, and Oklahoma Ford Dealers. Drive into your best in Oklahoma Ford Dealers today for the best deals on Ford's full lineup of trucks and SUVs. Ford is the best in Oklahoma. Also brought to you by Two Fellas Moving. Let's face it, a box of pizza and a case of beer just don't work like they used to. Nobody wants to help you move, but I know two fellas that love moving. At Two Fellas Moving Company, they offer free no springs, no strings quotes for your move. With over 20 years experience, they've pretty much moved it all. Their services don't end up moving either. If you need to do some remodeling or spring cleaning, they've got you covered with dumpster rentals and junk haul services. Remember, quotes are free. There are no strings attached. If you are moving in Oklahoma, make sure to call the fellas at twofellas.com. Twofellas.com for your free quote today. That's the number two, fellas.com. He is Eli Letterman. I'm Todd Lisenby. We are two fellas, and we are talking about the Premier League today. Eli. How was your weekend? I know uh, you got that Friday kickoff, so you got a full Premier League Saturday finally. I did. It was still spent uh, post <clears throat> OUTCU, unfortunately, in terms of PL viewing. One, that early Manchester City kick. Like, come on, what are we doing putting the best game of the weekend at a lunchtime kick in the UK and 6.30 a.m. here? That was a killer. Um, but also spent a lot of my weekend on offensive coordinator movement keeping an eye on Oklahoma State. So I didn't get as much in on Saturday as I would have liked. Sunday was was a good good day to be viewing. Tottenham fan, didn't love that outcome, but loved the uh, the performance. We'll get more to that. But it was uh, it was nice to have the Premier League back. You, you miss it. The international breaks just aren't what they used to be, or maybe they never were. Uh, getting the PL back was was wonderful. Well, let's, uh, let's first talk about uh, that before all of the games were played last week, there was a big off-the-pitch announcement in the Premier League. Everton docked 10 points for a breach of Premier League rules. Uh, they now sit one spot. In fact, I think they may just be on goal difference ahead of Burnley at the bottom, or Sheffield United, I think it is, at the bottom of the league. But Everton now are in real serious uh, relegation contention with that 10-point docking of points. So I guess let's start with there, Eli. What do you feel like this means for Everton Football Club, a club that a lot of Americans support because a lot of people got into the Premier League when Landon Donovan was playing for Everton? Yeah, I mean, Everton, what does it mean in the short term? You know, I'm, I'm, I pulled it up. Uh, Burnley are bottom with four points. Everton are level with them now at four points after the 10-point the, the uh, reduction. Sheffield at five points, Luton Town at nine. So it pulls Everton, who I think we talked about it pretty recently here on the Todd Pod. We felt were like on the path to safety. That thirty-point threshold, you kind of got to hit to feel good. Um, they're now out of that. I think of the teams they're contending with, they're probably still best equipped to claw out. But there's no getting around both what they lost in terms of point total and what you know they'd banked points early. That's how you stave off relegation. Got You can't ignore the emotional element of it. I think you saw it against Manchester United. They came out pretty strong actually dominated that first half. We're going to talk about the Garnacho goal, but they just didn't have it. And you got to consider both the the impact on, you know, in the table, what, what they lost, but also this is going to weigh on them. It was weighing, you could tell it was weighing on them over the weekend and it's going to hang. And, you know, from a bigger picture, picture perspective, 
it's a question of, you know, what are these sanctions and what does possible relegation mean for Everton? Like a club that's never been relegated, uh, still one of the biggest in England. What could it mean for them with ownership stuff swirling if, uh, if they find themselves in the championship next year? There's a lot of nuance in the rules. And so I think, you know, immediately people go, well, why is Everton getting punished? They're at the bottom of the league table. Um, the rules are, it's more about a breach of rules than that they spent too much money, right? Or they they spent funny money like Manchester City has been accused of or like Chelsea gets accused of with the amount of money that they've spent in the last couple transfer windows. So, you know, it's we've seen signs all around the Premier League this week. Everton flew a banner over Man City's game against Liverpool this week. City are facing 115 charges. Everton got a 10-point drop for one charge. So how worried should I be as a Manchester City fan and how worried should City or maybe even Chelsea be uh, that they could be in in serious danger of maybe even getting relegated? Well, I think the lesson here, and I do think no matter who you root for, this is broadly speaking a good thing. I mean, Tottenham, there, there's maybe uh, an investigation to their Jermaine Defoe transfer in 2008. I mean, that's how far back we're going. It seems like every, you know, all the cool kids have some kind of... Uh, financial regularity that, that the FA is going to look at. But I think broadly speaking, in a world where we are seeing money and rule breaking like dominate the sport, um, one certainly and the other, you know, we can debate. I mean, 115 charges is a lot for City, Chelsea deal, whatever, wherever you fall in these things, it does seem like soccer and its governing, bo- governing bodies are getting more serious about this. I still am going to wait to see the follow through to really believe it. But I, I think regulation in a sport that is rife with all the, the the stuff that goes on in it is a positive thing i think that's a, a way toward balancing back the premier league in some way shape or form as much as you can in a world of nation state ownership and and all that so i think that's good i'm going to be really curious to see if this is just you know the, the ncaa is a really good example right of a of a body that finds it hits its easy targets and in, in this case i think everton next to Chelsea and Manchester City is an easier target to make an example out of. That's, let's say, Oklahoma State. Can the FA and whoever else here hit Kansas basketball? Right. That is Manchester City. That's Chelsea. And I think that's where the the faith in these punishments and even the legacy of this Chelsea drop, you know, uh, excuse me, Everton drop. If, If at the end of this, Everton loses 10 points and Manchester City and Chelsea get, you know, fined or something, then the legacy of what happened to Everton is going to be that it was a joke, that it was an overpunishment, or basically that they hit the soft target they could and they couldn't hit the bigger ones. What what lies ahead here is the challenge, which is taking down, quote-unquote, or or penalizing Manchester City for its 115 uh, alleged financial breaches, the stuff Chelsea reportedly did over the years with Roman Abramovich. That's where we're going to really see this tested. Well, I, uh, I, first off, it's very painful to me that you compared Manchester City to Bill Self and actually had a point. You're welcome. So, uh, well, hey, but, me and Pep have the same amount of real hair. Well, you know, I don't want to say anything controversial on here, but that might be true. Um, I, I just know that, look, I'll be a Man City fan because I love the club. Uh, the club it just happens to be owned by uh, some, you know, probably not great people, if we're being honest, who have bucket loads of unlimited money. Uh, Do I benefit from it as a fan? Of course I do. I understand that. But 
Kevin De Bruyne is not a person who, uh, you know, runs a country that has shady uh, human rights violations, right? Like we're not dealing with the chic when I root for Kevin De Bruyne. I root for the player. I like the fans. I like the story of Manchester City. I wrote about it in my newsletter last week if you didn't get a chance to read it. I, if they get relegated, I'll support them, right? At, and I think, honestly, if they get relegated, it's just going to be a mockery of what they do next year in the second and third divisions. If they, let's say they get knocked down to the fifth division, guess what? They'll just win every match for the next five. You know, they're not going to stop spending money. They're going to get back to where they were. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I don't honestly know what they can do. And I also think, like I said, for those people and Man United fans were holding up 115 signs this weekend. They've spent more money in transfer windows since Man City were bought than Man City have, right? So if you think that the 115 is the only reason that Man City are winning titles, that's incorrect. And also, I would tell people, do a little research. I feel like, you know, I'm talking about some sort of uh, conspiracy theory here. But do a little research of your own. And you will find that there is some nuance in these charges. What Man City is being charged with is basically the same, and not all of them are minor, but some of them are minor charges, but it's with 20 different players. You see what I mean? So that counts as 23 of the 115. So if you is it a crime 23 times, you've committed it 23 times. Well, I'm just, what I'm saying though is if, is I'm talking about Man City is getting. You know, there. If you steal ten thousand dollars worth of merchandise, instead of Man City getting charged once for stealing ten thousand dollars, they're getting charged for every item they stole. It doesn't make it any better. But what Sounds I'm like saying a is accounting of the things they've done. <laughs> but what I'm saying though is that the charges are basically in five categories, five or six categories, and those charges are all serious. Some more serious than others. But the number 115 is just kind of a random. And I don't think, I guess what I'm getting at is I don't think Man City are going to get 1,150 points deducted. No. Right? You know, it's not going to work out. That might be the amount of points it would take to send them to like non league football. (laughs) It it might keep them just on the edge of Champions League, I think, if they got uh, 1,150 deducted. No, I I don't think anything huge is going to happen to them. There'll probably be a points deduction at some point. But also, you got to be realistic if you are an Everton fan or if you are a fan of someone else, say Arsenal, and you think Man City have been cheating. If there are really 115 different cases that they've got to prove all of, that's going to take time. It's not going to happen this year, more than likely. It's probably going to happen the next year or two. So it sucks for Everton. I hope they don't get relegated, not just because I'm a Man City fan and they also have charges hanging over their head, I just think the story of Everton Football Club is one that I kind of enjoy, right? I mean, I like having Everton in the Premier League. Um, the Everton-Liverpool match, the Merseyside Derby, is always, even though Liverpool dominates, something that I'm watching. So I don't want to see them go away. I don't know that this is fair because I don't know the ins and outs of everything that they supposedly did wrong. Uh, right now, we just have people just shooting arrows at each other that don't know much about the situation. And one, I think what I think when all said and done, City are going to get some sort of punishment, though. They have to at this point. What I would just point more for like context here is that Manchester City, this is the Premier League, right, in the FA, and whoever's going right. to investigate this and charge them here. 
Manchester City within the last few years uh, kind of skirted out on UEFA sanctions. UEFA charges, for, correct. For finance. So, and it, it can be a debate of what these uh, breaches really represent, how big a deal they are. It's been documented now for more than a decade of, of what, of irregularities and breaches in financial fair play rules with Manchester City. I think it's probably fair. I mean, they are still allegations, but fair to say that like they're, these things are real. They've happened. How it's going to play out is the question. And how much that first part matters, that they've happened, that's up to every single one of us and, and how you feel about these things. Um, do you care about FFP or do you just care that your team, you know, any anybody, whether it's City or otherwise, spends money and wins and has players you like? Or if, if, you know, some level of balance in the game, a sport where the imbalance is so strong when you talk about, you know, everyone from Manchester City to Luton Town, if these things matter to you. That's, that's well, kind of the thing. And that, that's what's going to get tested here. Can I ask you this? Do you think that Manchester City are the only team that are cooking the books? No, but I... And I'm not know. saying that makes it yeah, right. Yeah. But I think we may also be in a spot here where... Man City are getting caught because they are winning. And that's who is getting investigated right now. And I think I just think that for fan bases, if Everton's getting caught, um, then that probably means that everyone in between Man City and Everton is doing it on some level, right? And and it's just a slippery slope to go down. Uh, it's kind of like the, the bag men, you know, in the SEC back in the day. We all knew that was happening. Now it's legal to do it. Um, so, you know, I don't know how you fix it. There's always been your big clubs with money that have dominated. It just, it feels like a little bit from the Man City side of things, their fan base will tell you, well, of course, Man United and everyone else are going to come after us because we're the new money, right? That's, that's what Man City fans will tell you. So I don't know. I'd be lying if I said I knew enough about financial fair play to, understand how you could subvert the rules but man city are obviously going to have the most scrutiny on them because they're the best team in the world right now i'm hesitant to attribute that simply to winning when it's the the scope of it 115 charges we have the details from the uefa investigation and what we're talking about here like as an example i remember this from the uefa investigation was like through sponsorship deals money that you know if if they had signed a sponsorship with a real company would have come in. They were pumping that money from the nation state through. I mean, that, that, that's what we're, that's, that's an example of what we're saying here that um, Manchester city, I, I don't know about laundered money or, you know, cook the books as, as you put it by disguising funds coming into the club through um, other means. We've documented evidence of that. There's 115 cases. However, we want to parse it out. So I'm hesitant just to say that it's just because Manchester City's winning. Even if everyone's doing this, it appears Manchester City is as prolific as it is on the pitch as it is at committing FFP breaches. Well, I think it's... it's Best I, in the world. I don't think it's 0% because Manchester City are winning. I think it's a percentage of it is because of that. And I also think a percentage of it is because of who they are owned by, um, which is an Arab nation state, right? I mean, I think that plays into it as well. But the reason that we found out all of these, and I'm going to say it, alleged violations, is because somebody hacked into their system, into their computer systems. No one's going and hacking into, you know, Wolverhampton's computer systems to see if they're following financial fair play. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure of that. I'm pretty sure of that. All right, let's talk about what happened on the pitch with Manchester City. I got home from calling a uh, 4A state semifinal game on Friday night at about 1 a.m. Saturday morning, and I was up at 6.30, five and a half hours later, to watch Man City, I thought, pretty much dominate for 80 minutes against Liverpool, and then Trent Alexander-Arnold get the leveler in the 80th minute for the Reds to get a draw at the Etihad Stadium. That result, combined with a result we'll talk about later, puts Arsenal back at the top of the table. Um, You know, I know that you did not get up early for that, understandably so, but Erling Holland did score his 50th goal in his 48th game. The previous record was Andy Cole in 65 matches. He scored his first 50 goals in the Premier League. I know we've talked about it before, but those kind of eye-popping numbers now are just becoming so normal with Holland. They're staggering. I mean, the pace he's on and that he's been on for what, like, I mean, it since, certainly since arriving to City, but really the last three, four years. I mean, you look at his Champions mm-hmm. League run that began at, at Dortmund. He's scores at absurd, absurd clips. This felt, I, you're right, I missed the game, but I was able to kind of catch up on it, uh, watch the extended highlights, all that. It had the feeling not really of the, the Manchester City Liverpool, um, you know, heavyweight bouts of the last few years, right? didn't just have that classic feel maybe we'll get that one in the reverse fixture but um it was it was very much so city on the front foot and liverpool kind of getting their goal um to equalize and and i guess in that sense you know that that in its own right because we're going to talk about the title race here and we're certainly talking about two of the teams at least in the title race that is a kind of title race um not shifting but uh impacting game you know liverpool did not have their best on this day. They probably got outplayed. They still came away with a point. Uh, maybe that's going to be the difference come May, or maybe it just keeps them, you know, in their spot and, and gives them that confidence in the race. But this was City on the front foot and probably coming away with a draw in a game you would have liked for to, to have seen them win. Yeah, I I haven't looked at this week, but if I think I think if I'm correct, I think Arsenal had they done through the first whatever we're at thirteen or fourteen matches this year what they did last year like i think the point total for arsenal at this point in first place last season would would be like 6 or 7 clear of where manchester city and liverpool are right now you see what i'm saying so mm-hmm. i think because it's been at the top so jumbled i think this result is not going to be that bad for either of them we've had a lot of matches no. end in draws between some of the top sides early on in this year and quite honestly like we haven't seen a lot of them play yet we're going to get to that. We're going to see that a lot in the next two or three weeks as well. Uh, well, City don't play a top side yet this week. Anyway, we'll talk about that later. Uh, but uh, I would just say I think it's definitely a, a three-horse race, Arsenal, City, and Liverpool. Um, you would agree with that, right? It's not a two-horse race between City and Arsenal like last year. No, no. Liverpool's right there. They've kind of recovered from you know where they were a year ago. Th- these things are cyclical. I still... I've been impressed. I think we talked about on here earlier in the season, not being sure about the defense for Liverpool and feeling like that would be the thing that would hold them back. But they've got it together. They've rebuilt the midfield. The defense is there. Um, They're absolute title contenders. Arsenal absolutely are, even if it feels like we're still waiting for them to kick into gear. And I I think that'll probably be the determining factor for them is like, is this, you know, because they're they're kind of grinding results and they're, they're accumulating points, all that, but they haven't 
you know, knocked your socks off with a, a particular run of games yet. Is Arsenal going to kick into a second gear? And maybe unlike last year when they peaked too early, do they have somewhere else to go and, and to, to, to hit another level? That'll determine that. And then City, I think we know, um, are, are going to be there unless they get hit with some kind of deduction. It might take an 1,150-point deduction to keep them out of the title race. Um, so I, I think it's those three. I, I think, you know, fact is, like Spurs, if you could pull away all the injuries, and, and you can't, and, you know, United fans would say, oh, so now you get to complain about injuries. Totally fair. You know, Tottenham, we're, at, we're ready to go top of the table against Chelsea before everything unraveled. The injuries have piled up on them. On them. In the table, they would probably be in that race. I think if Tottenham have, had taken seven of points from their, uh, from their last three games, if they're healthier, um, we are probably talking about them being in the race right now in this very moment. But I, I think the fact is Tottenham's squad depth, which was thin to begin with, has been exposed in the last few weeks. And that tells you, um, helps explain both why they've struggled of late and also why realistically, I, you know, I don't know that this three game skid pulls them completely out of the title race, but I think the issues at the, the center of it, the squad depth are, are why they, you probably can't factor them in anywhere near there. Brentford nil, Arsenal one. Kai Havertz, 89th minute for the Gunners. Uh, I love this. We talked one, uh, was it last week or last time we talked about soccer, about our favorite phrases? Uh, he spared their blushes, which I love. Nice. That he spared their blushes in the 89th minute with the goal. Uh, Arsenal now go top. And that's the type of match, Eli, that it wasn't necessarily a thing of beauty, but that's the one you have to win if you're gonna if you're gonna at, in match week 38 have a chance to win the title. Well, that's exactly the point. They're they're stacking points and and probably not playing at their very highest level. The question is 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 the team that is broadly speaking, you know, this week was a struggle to get there. Is that who they are, or is that who they are right now? And they're going to to hit another level in twenty in you know in the new year and make a run. That'll determine this, but man, what a Kai Havertz little renaissance. He had a nice international break, played a little left back uh, for Germany, scored a goal, and then comes back and has the decisive one. A guy who's caught a lot of flack. I still don't know if anyone knows where to really play him. Maybe Julian Nagelsmann is onto something with the whole left back, you know, positional flexibility deal at the international level, but good for him. What do you make of the, uh, the, the goalkeeping stuff at Arsenal? I mean, that's a piece of the things as, uh, as we talk about a title race. Obviously, with Brentford, David Raya, who's on loan, couldn't play in that game, on loan from Brentford. Um, but it is interesting, you know, to me, a team that's contending for the title. We know Ederson is locked in at City. We know Allison. You know, we're talking about two of the best keepers in the world there. He's at Liverpool. There's at least unsettledness, uh, if that's a word, at Arsenal between the sticks. And you won't, that, that's at least, to me, a variable as you're talking about a title push. It's. I think it's that age-old conversation of you know. I think we 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 being people who are a little bit older think of keepers as shot stoppers, and I think Mikel Arteta, much like Pep Guardiola, thinks of keepers in a different way, where they do have to play with the ball at their feet more. And I think because That's of that reason, now. yeah, exactly. And I think because of that reason, I don't necessarily know that goalkeeper rotation is going to like take over the premier league but i think this is the next logical step of where it goes right what Mikel arteta is doing and i don't think it's that crazy it may work it's certainly outside the box and i i always appreciate that kind of thinking but 
yeah, it's there's a big question mark next to it for sure. I mean, it opened. You're you're right. You don't need to be a shot stopper the same. Well, I guess it's it's two you things. You do. That's the thing. That's the thing. You you need to you know the modern goalkeeper to play in the way the most progressive coaches in the world are playing right now has to be as good as his feet as you know as some of the the defensive midfielders that you need to hold onto the ball. Um, that's a big part of this. The passing range. You know, it, it started really with Ederson and Allison. Uh, Tottenham Guglielmo Vicario. He can uh, distribute. So can david raya that's part of the game but what's gonna matter right you got to stop shots when it's the 89th minute and uh someone's got a clear-cut chance your feet aren't gonna do anything maybe they can help you stop you know shot stop um and that's where you know i think at at arsenal where it seems like raya has is the number one and ramsdale is kind of on the fringes it's just about confidence it's it's not about who can play with their feet i think they both can i think you know they're they're rotating uh, and, and both are talented. It's just if we're talking about the margins and margins have been tight at the top of the Premier League table a lot of years or this race could get tight is unsettling your goalkeepers, not having a guy who is 2000 percent confident in his place and playing in that. Is that going to be something that trips them up um, or, you know, conversely, will an injury, you know, at some point make the decision for them and, and they're going to have to go from there. But I do think you know, we're talking about City and Liverpool, two sides that are very settled. Arsenal, at this point, in a pretty good spot. But you look at goalkeeper and you just wonder if that's going to be something that comes back to bite them. Arsenal's next three matches, Wolves at home, Luton away, and then Villa away. So maybe a chance to extend that lead at the yeah, top. Yeah, I think so. Three, yeah, three winnable matches. The next two for sure winnable matches. Speaking of Villa, it was Aston Villa. With a 2-1 win over Tottenham. Tottenham 1, Aston Villa 2. I guess we'll start. You're a Tottenham Hotspurs fan, Eli. Hotspur fan, Eli. Does young men's son understand the offside rule, or is he like Ted Lasso and still hasn't gotten it figured out yet? I'm certain he does, but he had a nice hat trick of offside goals. Um, you know, I, my mind doesn't... It goes back not to uh, to Spurs Villa, but to Spurs Chelsea when he was inches offside Spurs could have gone 2-0 up 2-0 against Chelsea and that feels like a whole alternate universe uh but no I mean I can't tell you how many times I ran around well it was three I ran around my apartment (laughs) on uh watching that game and being excited uh and it's also just the modern reality right of watching the sport now do you even celebrate the goals fully because you're always worried about VAR in this case all three were pretty clear cut but um yeah no the offside goal uh between him and Richarlison two of the most prolific offside goal scorers uh, in the game. Watch out Erling Haaland. Uh, but it was uh, in those, in those moments, it was excitement and then deflation. Emmanuel Adebayor was the greatest offside goal scorer of all time. I still don't think he knows the rule for offside. One, um, one of the many Tottenham Man City greats played for both. Yeah, Tottenham Man City Arsenal great. That's a real rare. That's a real uh, one. Triumvirate yeah. right there. Uh, yeah, it was, look, this is a little bit to be expected, right? I mean, Tottenham are just so beat up by injuries right now. Um, does this in any way, shape or form the last three matches, does it change how you feel about Angeball? Are you like right now, are you chalking at all the injuries and, uh, suspensions? Well, here's the thing. I I think, and I've talked to people and people certainly, I mean, we all enjoy it when the teams we don't like in the premier league struggle, 
but you know, I've, I've talked to people who I don't know have like watched the game, certainly not yesterday, uh, excuse me, uh, uh, the game against Villa, because if you watched it, Tottenham set up with one semi-traditional center back, Ben Davis, who's like a fullback, left center back, Emerson Royale at, at the other center back spot. It was a lineup that was basically, we don't have the pieces, or we, we don't have the pieces today, but we're not going to change what we're doing. Ange Postacoglu spent the international break preparing this team and whatever time he had to prepare before Villa to have imperfect parts continue to play his system. And if you watch that game, they dominated possession, which you will often do against Unai Emery's Villa because they're going to want to hit you on the counter. But they played their game. They created chances. They had a ton of shots on goal. And it just didn't break their way. I mean, they had opportunities away from the offside goals that if they finish a little better, uh, this could be a 4-2 Spurs win. That's where my confidence lies. In the moment right now, short term, they're ravaged. They've ten, they, they have a full starting 11, and it would be a pretty competent Premier League starting 11 of guys who are either injured or suspended. So they're missing a big chunk of this team, a team that is not deep. We knew that going into the season. They were going to be thin. They really couldn't afford this, especially the injuries at, uh, you know, at center back with the suspensions. That was going to hurt them. Where my long-term encouragement is is the fact that Ange Postacago is unwavering in the way he's going to play, and he seems to have an yeah, ability. You know, you st- oh, hold you on. Say- Go ahead. I think he could take the trash pen as the team I play with every Sunday and get a tune out of us the, the, in, in that sense. But go ahead. Well, you say that that he's he's continuing the system, and I get that, and there is something to be said for that. But with all these injuries, wouldn't right now be a time for a little bit of pragmatism? I mean, that's the push and pull of Ange Postacoglu, and that's what I was I was reading about in the summer. And what he's reiterated is is essentially, and you know, it's funny. I was lamenting this this time last year that Antonio Conte wouldn't change his ways, but a year ago this time, any Tottenham fan would have bitten their arm off to play the kind of football that Tottenham are playing, right? Just flatly, not results, but the style and the approach and the ambition. And to turn back on that after three games, you're right. Pragmatism's here, and that's the push and pull of elite football, right? Hi, Bear. Um, you know, the, the pragmatists like Jose Mourinho and Antonio Conte have, have proven, you know, where that works. Um, I don't know that Tottenham sitting back. I mean, w- what confidence should I have in a defense that includes Eric Dyer or a non-traditional center back playing center back to what? Sit back and take Villa peppering shots for 90 minutes? It, it's kind of the same as that Chelsea game. Um, you know. Did they have to keep the high line down to nine men? They very nearly drew that one, and they very, very, very nearly won against Villa. I will take that spirit, even if the results in this current moment are not going to be there. That, to me, long-term is encouraging. Yeah, I mean, I get what you're saying, and I think you're probably on the right side of that argument. I just present that side of the argument because as we get to our next match, which was Everton nil, Manchester United 3, Eric Ten Hag quoted as saying, like, hey, I can't play the Ajax way with the players mm-hmm. we have at Man United right now. We have to play more direct. We have to be more pragmatic. Um, do you do you like that from to me to me that's almost a little bit defeatist from Ten Hag of like well, when you've spent hey, the money they have, right? And I'm I was getting I know we've uh, talked negatively on United a lot, and I was getting ready to talk positively on them, but in that sense it's like, well, They've been buying your players for how long? Right. For eighteen months now, and spent a lot of money to do it. Making the Ange Postacago comparison, he made a Tottenham team with a. He's missing a lot of the guys they've signed for him. 
He had Pierre-Emil Hoiberg out there. He had Emerson Royale out there, a guy I quite like. Uh, ben, a lot of guys that were not signed to suit his system, he got them to play in his system and play well. Did they win? No. The result you could argue about and, and the pragmatism and all that. But he's not sitting there complaining about who they don't have right now. He's figuring it out with the guys he does. So it's working for Ten Hag, and that's where I'll the, the form for United. I mean, for all the talk about how disastrous their start's been, they're in a fine place. They're playing, you know, results-wise, they're getting what they're getting. I struggle more with the complaint of, you know, is that not a coach's job to figure out um, how to get a tune out of the players, particularly a group that, you know, were signed to, to fit his system. At the same time, there's the prag- pragmatism argument. He is adjusting to who he has, and they're getting results. It's kind of two schools of thought. I, I take it as more of the um, read between the lines of, that's Eric Ten Hag's way of saying, I need you guys to spend more. Like, I need you guys to keep bringing in more people. And they um, will because it's Manchester United, but what, what's, right. what should give them confidence? You've spent yeah. how much money in the last 18 months on a squad of players he's not happy with and injuries playing some role in that, but keep spending more. I mean, that, that's like the Chelsea way. And it, again, it, it's all, this is like a, an existential uh, whole deal here, but it's, it's why I, I've got my confidence on the Tottenham side. I know we keep returning to it. Long-term, I've got faith in, in that approach. Short-term, the idea, you know, Tottenham are going to lose some games right now, but United probably can't make a title push playing in un- you know, a system that doesn't suit or signing players that don't suit a system. That, to me, does not feel long-term sustainable with Ten Hag, the way he's talking about that. Unfortunately, you mentioned the Chelsea way. The Chelsea way did not work on Sunday. As Chelsea no. just got, uh, they got destroyed by Newcastle four-one. A nice goal for Raz Raheem Sterling with a nice free kick goal in the first half. But red card in the second half. Uh, three goals unanswered for Newcastle. They win four-one. I don't know if you saw or not, but uh, Poch gave the old "We're training in the morning" line after the oh, I match. That. Oh, you got to love players. when the manager says we'll be training tomorrow morning. That's a dangerous game in terms of, you know, you, you got to pull the reins in. But obviously he was uh, he was suspended for the match. So maybe he didn't get his yelling in from the touchline at St. James's Park. And so he had to just get them there to, to yell and do whatever else. But yeah, this this Chelsea deal feels like it's been, you know, one step forward, two steps back all season so far. And this was just the latest example. So we mentioned Everton, Man United. Man United won that match 3-0. First off, I do want to mention that I thought, look, again, we talked about it in depth at the beginning of the podcast, but I did think the protests were pretty damn interesting at Goodison Park before Mm -hmm. the match, and to be expected, right? Uh, But I I thought I saw one of the best goals I've seen in a long time as well, and it pains me to say because it was a Manchester United player that did it, but Garnacho's bicycle kick was amazing. It was fabulous. I mean, it had all the shades of Wayne Rooney's bicycle kick. It was easily the goal of the season thus far. Um, Puskas Award will probably be having a good look at that one. Uh, what was your favorite part of it? Because I can tell you mine after you tell me yours. Oh, I mean, I just thought... So, to me, what was just the angle at which he shot it from... Um, I thought the behind the goal view of it was really cool because you see it come across goal and you get a better idea of how much pace it was hit with. But, you know, I, I would say that was probably my favorite part of it. 
uh, the actual goal. The celebration was kind of funny. It was pretty good, right? Yeah. I mean, and a Ronaldo-like finish with a Ronaldo-like celebration. That's the one most, time you're you're allowed to do that, I think, is when you score like that. I think so. I quite enjoyed seeing Jordan Pickford just like face down on the ground afterward, completely <laughs> beaten. Kind of doing his usual, like where he tur- gets up and like yells at his defenders. Not, what was anyone supposed to do on that? I watched, uh, I watched, you know, uh, oh gosh, why am I drawing a blank on the, the guy's name that played at Wrexham last year? Ben Foster. Mm-hmm. Ben Foster, who has a YouTube channel, he's the Cycling GK, I think is what he's called. But he was he was doing a crossover episode with someone once, and they were talking to him about, you know, what's it like when you're in goal and someone hits a shot and you go, oh yeah, that's going in. He's like, well, you got to dive and you got to sell it and make it look like you at least tried for it, even if you know you can't get to it. And Pickford is the best in the world at selling those. He'll come up, you know, three feet away from the ball and he'll land face first. He'll give everything for it. So I respect it a little bit. It's a lot like a guy selling a block charge call in basketball. Mm -hmm. You got to sell it. Any good block comes with some embellishment and every good, you know, great goal that a keeper can't get to also comes with a keeper having to sell that effort. All right. So let's end with this today. That goal great goal is it the best one you've ever witnessed eli and if not what is i think you're gonna i'm gonna tickle you first and then i'll give how about about let's do two different categories here what's the best one you've ever seen and what's the best one you watched live um all of these are ones i was watching live because i do think that's an important part of the goal i mean all right, I'll, I, here's the distinction. I didn't watch live that, that Ronaldo bicycle kick a few years ago where he seemed to get to literally levitate, right? It was in the Champions League at Juventus. Didn't watch that live. That one was stunning. But I'll give you two goals, one that you'll you'll be into and one uh, from the Tottenham Bank, two actually from the Tottenham Bank that I can tell you exactly where I was watching each one live. First, the Vincent Company goal in 2019 was just a stunner i mean he pulls up i mean he, you can hear the the, po- the interviews afterward everyone's saying don't shoot don't shoot don't shoot and he you know he has said i've played you know x number of years in the premier league just for a 19 year old to tell me not to shoot i'm going to shoot and that was against leicester right basically yep. one of the league and one of the tightest um premier league chases we've had so that was one uh delhi alley against crystal palace 2016 that's the one where he takes it dribbles juggles twice turns and just fires and it loops in beautiful harry kane north london derby arsenal wearing the mask from an impossible angle finding a goal those are the top three that i can tell you watching live were mesmerizing and and rose somewhat to the level of what we saw with garnacho yeah i mean just personally from a rooting interest like aguero's goal in 2012 or Gundogan's goal are huge but as far as just the goal, if we're not talking about mm-hmm. the moment, even like the moment was great, but the goal with company was stunning. You're right. Um, but Wayne Rooney's bicycle kick yeah. against Man City is up there for me. I was watching that live, and I remember thinking like – that was at a time where Man City were trying to get over the hump of Man United. And I remember thinking like we're never going to beat these guys. Never going like, to happen. It's impossible. It's the greatest team ever formed. But that's up there. Uh, Sid, I love the team goal. And City had a goal against United, gosh, I think it was either 19 or maybe 20 before the pandemic, where it was 46 passes. 
and it ended in a goal that kind of uh, saw the match off for them. So I think those are the ones that come to mind for me. Uh, the other one I would throw at you, I didn't watch this live, but I'm still just amazed by it, is Zlatan's uh, bicycle for Sweden mm-hmm. against England from about 35 yards out over Joe Hart. Third. Yeah. Two other honorable mentions. Uh, the goals, it was uh, that 2022 Champions League run when Madrid just turned it on and the assist from Modric to Benzema was absurd, the outside of the foot. Yep. And uh, another honorable mention, anything Dimitri Payet did from 2015 to 2017 at West Ham, all of them, every one of those goals go on that list. Yeah, there have been some good ones, uh, but that one's up near the top of the list, the Garnacho in this weekend. Mm-hmm. Just as far as an acrobatic goal, it might be up there with Rooney as the best one I've watched live for sure. Um, I think I answered this one already for me, but what's the best goal you've seen scored against Tottenham, your favorite team? For Ooh. me as a Man City fan, it's obviously Wayne Rooney, but what's the one where you were like, I can't even be mad. That was just a good hit. You know what? It was kind of forgotten. I'm glad it was forgotten. It would have been October 2020, Mourinho era Spurs, and Spurs thrashed West Ham over the first like 30 minutes, went up 3-0, then kind of died down. It was actually Gareth Bale's first game back at Tottenham, and West Ham get two goals, and then Lanzini had a cracker in the 90th minute, just ripped one. Top corner, like the Garnacho goal, a goal that Hugo Lloris could not have saved, had no shot at it. That was as impressive and also deflating as as some as as plenty of other Tottenham goals I've seen them give up. I just thought about two other ones, not against Man City, mm-hmm. but I want to bring these up as well because if especially if you're watching on YouTube, this may lead to a search for you if you've never seen these. Dimba Ba against Chelsea, his goal for Newcastle, which was just one of those, like, I guess I'll have a hit, and it just happened to be, you know, an outside of the boot all the way from about 45 yards out goal. Uh, and then Robin Van Persie's diving header is just mm. as far as the, just like, I don't know that it was the most difficult of all of those, but just the way he scored it, the way it was almost in like slow motion, how he glided through the air, that was a pretty awesome goal too. Amen. That's a, that's a World Cup, like, absolute classic. Well, speaking of absolute classics, this weekend, Tottenham, Manchester City, at the Etihad, Liverpool scratched out a result. Can your Tottenham Hotspur, coming in with three straight losses, do it this weekend? Eli, as we leave, what's your prediction for Man City v. Tottenham? Well, uh, how do you... Like, I, I, we'll get into the series here, but in terms of like the fandom and the, the deep-down like feelings you've got, would there be a more perfect 1-0 Tottenham result than at City after three straight Tottenham losses? It is very that would so fit. The bogey team, that whole deal. Um, no, I, I, I will yeah. say Tottenham have been the bogey team, but mainly at Tottenham Hotspur. This is true. I do believe that game where Spurs, actually, I think it was the day Harry Kane, his best individual performance as a Tottenham player, I might even argue, conversation for another day, the best individual single-game performance in Premier League history. Harry Kane against City in early 2022. Um, that was that's one where awesome. he had the assist. The son had a couple assists. Correct, and he scored the he scored uh, scored the winner. Um, that was after three straight Tottenham losses, going to a City side that like had not lost at home in something like 25 matches. I think we're heading to the exact same thing. More rooted in reality, 
Tottenham are going to arrive there missing a cast that includes Christian Romero, Mickey Vandeven, uh, perhaps Rodrigo Benton Kerr, James Madison, Richarlison. Uh, they, as I said, they have a, a full, pretty impressive starting 11 of guys who are unavailable. So it would be pretty stunning if Tottenham were to go there. Where my faith resides, and it's, it goes back to what we said earlier, is here. I don't know that Tottenham are going to win. I'm pretty confident they're going to go there and try to give City a game. And if they're going to lose either way, I would much prefer it to be with my team going there trying to win a game than what they would have done in the past, which would be go there trying not to lose. I, I Life's way too short to watch soccer like that. I've had to waste enough time doing it in recent years. And that, that is the, at the core of everything in terms of Ange, what we talked about before. When you have a team that has played not to lose for so long, I really don't care at a, at a certain level about the results as I do just about how they go out and do it. And I'm, I'm confident Tottenham will at least go there and give City a game. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that. As uh, the great Sean Dice says, we'll see if Tottenham are at the races on Saturday. Oh, at the races. Well, what do you think? Are you feeling good about where City stand right now? I never feel good, honestly. I don't. I go into every match thinking they're going to lose. Um, but it's Tottenham have the. I think the blueprint is what Liverpool did. City will give up goals just in the way they play. If you continue to attack, yep. you can get goals. The problem is you can't get down three or four nil first, which a lot of teams do. And if even if City score first, if you can hold them off and you can make them go 45, 50, 60 minutes without scoring, uh, you know, even 30, 40 minutes without scoring, City will start to wear, right? And they'll have these lapses and they'll have these moments where they will give the ball away and you can go take it to them. And every match, even the best matches for City, there's a five to 10 minute span where the other team gets some attempts. That's just the way it works with the way they play. So if Tottenham can take advantage of those, and I think, like you said, by pray, playing on the front foot, you give yourself the best chance to, um, I think they can stay in it. Where I worry, though, is like I think this could also be a match where Holland scores three goals in the first 30 minutes. Well, that's possible. But that's every match, I guess. Right. That's, that's a fair point. Aerially, Tottenham right now are so disadvantaged. When you talk about not having Richarlison, uh, Christian Romero, Mickey Van de Ven, you're seeing them on set pieces, both attacking set pieces and defending them. They just don't have size right now. And so when I consider the pinpoint passing of, of some of the guys City can throw on the ball and Erling Holland and, and any of those other big dudes waiting, that really scares me. I, I'd put money right now on a, a, on a headed set piece goal, at least one. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying, and I agree with you, although I will say the service has not been as good this year. I think City have missed De Bruyne a lot, mm-hmm. and even though Jeremy Doku's brought them more speed and I think agility, uh, especially down the left side since Grealish has been a little bit nicked up, I do think that his service is not that great right now. He's not on the same page as Holland on a lot of stuff, so I think there's a fighting chance for your fighting fighting Tottenham Hotspur. Eli, before we go, tell everybody where they can find your stuff. Well, you can find me at selloutcrowd.com, at eli-letterman.com, at Twitter. When I'm not talking Premier League, not watching Premier League, I am covering the Sooners. we got a whole lot going on with the offensive coordinator search and Jeff Levy's departure. So tune in there, Letterman Jacket. Record an episode with Todd this week. We're everywhere, Todd. Coaches are, getting, yeah, yeah. Uh, coaches are getting sacked all over college football this week, aren't indeed, they? Indeed, indeed. Yeah. Uh, that's how I should start tweeting about these things, all just in football terms. 
I don't know if we mentioned this or not, but one of my favorite terms also is that they send managers on gardening leave. Gardening leave is so good. Which is great. You basically sit at home and work the garden. Which is, uh, which is, you know, if you want that's, me to put a video that's on me, the buyout, the equivalent of the, Jimbo Fisher's on is. gardening leave. Jimbo's on gardening leave for seven years, the highest paid gardening leave of all time. He's only if got want, two ranches. <laughs> if you want to watch me tend to the garden, I can set up a YouTube stream for you. Uh, we can do that. Just leave it in the comments below. Let me know that that's what you want me to do. And I might set up a gardening stream for you and you can watch me on gardening leave but if you want more gardening content with like, todd lisenby i like that as a as <laughs> if a you want more content, content like this you need to subscribe uh after you go subscribe to the letterman jacket subscribe to the todd pod whether it's on youtube or wherever you get your podcast leave a review uh leave a comment like the video like the podcast uh, i try to respond to all comments so you can always leave a comment and hopefully i'll get back to you if i if i don't it's because i just missed it somehow uh, but i try to get back to all comments and you can always reach me on uh, email as well, Todd at selloutcrowd.com. Big thanks to our producer, Jacqueline Musgrove, our creative director, Michael Lane, Michael Martin for his help as well. You have been listening to The Todd Pod. Mm-hmm.